You're listening to Cool Runnings. Hi guys, Jake here. I cannot tell you how great being in rehearsal has been. Matt's play is so rich and so exciting to dive into, and the only thing that tops it is that our team is intelligent and talented and capable of mining every square inch of it. One thing I keep getting stuck by is watching our actors articulate with their bodies, and in particular their fingers and their toes are like lightning strikes. It mirrors a style of performance native to Bali that both Arto and Matt Menachino in this play that we're working on deepen into. There's a whole essay that I recommend uh, in theater, and it's double, called On the Balinese Theater, that is a really cacophonous attempt to describe the Balinese dancers Arto would have seen in the 1930s. It drastically transformed what he began to expect from live performers on stage. It's often what people point at when he says artists should, quote, be like victims burnt at the stake, signaling through the flames, end quote. The rehearsal where I first noticed this, and several of our actors have had extensive dance training in highly articulative arts, was right on the heels of a section of the theater and its double that unpacked in a very acupuncture way the physical, I don't know, onus of the actor. I'll read it for you now. One must grant the actor a kind of effective musculature, which corresponds to the physical localizations of feelings. The actor is like the physical athlete, but with this surprising difference. His effective organism is analogous to the organism of the athlete, is parallel to it, as if it were its double, although not acting upon the same plane. The actor is an athlete of the heart. The division of the total person into three worlds obtains also for him, and his is the effective sphere. It belongs to him organically. End quote. That's affective. And then he goes on to get very acupuncture Very, um... Reflexology. This week we've got actor David Rosenberg joining us via radio telecom satellite from the Williamstown Theater Festival. He's a guy who's shaking things up. He tells a story about coming face-to-face with the Apu question. You'll see what I mean. After that, friend of the show Emily Altschul returns to read a chunk of manifesto guaranteed to have you stomping your feet and shrieking for new truths, new beginnings. Enjoy. So, back in, I think it was January or February, I went to an audition for a small but not super small regional theater that I won't name uh, for their sake. Uh, and it was for a small musical, uh, that I also won't name for its sake. Uh, and it was, it's a sort of 39 step style musical where it's a whodunit story. And there's a chorus of two dudes who play a bunch of different parts and a bunch of different accents. And all of the roles were written pretty broadly. There was a 
there was like an Italian gangster style guy who probably like lived with his mother or something. And there was an English, like a high class English guy. And then there was another character named uh, New Delhi, spelled like the city. And New Delhi was an opium dealer in India. And, and the, all of the people in called back for that part, including myself, are uh, little skinny white dudes. And we're all called back for this part of New Delhi. And we're all looking at it going, oh, boy, I, I, that's, that's kind of strange. And, and then the director says to us, as if to clarify, as if to make this all better, this director who's this kind of like tweety looking guy, seems like a perfectly nice guy. And he says... Uh, so this character, uh, just so you guys know, he's like any Indian cab driver you've ever met. Uh, and it got some polite laughter in the room. And I, I, um, I, I remember distinctly not laughing and then thinking to myself, oh, should I have laughed at that? And then thinking to myself, no, of course you shouldn't have, because it was, uh, super racist. And, uh, and so then now I have to walk out of the room and prepare the side, which was not sent to me in advance. And I think if it had been sent to me in advance, I probably wouldn't have gone to the callback because I found the material really offensive. Uh, and so I, I go into the other room and, and I'm, I'm practicing and I'm in the hallways of Pearl Studios of Pearl 500 and which is already like a very sort of hot crowded stressful place to be and there's all this music uh bleeding into the hallway from like auditions for La Caja Fall and I'm sitting there thinking you know do I really feel comfortable going into the room and doing this because you know voices and accents are something I pride myself on I think I'm good at that but I also pride myself on not being offensive or taking opportunities away from people of color who might better portray this part. And also, I just, uh, yeah, I just don't feel super comfortable doing it. And so I'm outside and I can tell from the con uh, the comment that we got from him earlier that he wants us to go really big with it. And frankly, if I wanted to, right, I could probably give them a big... Hank Azaria Simpson style Indian accent. Uh, and in that moment, it, I just had this moment of like, I don't know that this is what I want. I don't know that I want this job if it means going in there and lampooning other people's cultures, especially a culture I don't know at all. Uh, and I also knew that the play itself was written by like a probably 60 something white guy. And I didn't feel super comfortable about it. And so Part of me was thinking about leaving and part of me was thinking about staying and I ended up staying just because I figured it would be rude and I gave them the sort of worst half-assed like upper class Indian accent that I could muster. Um, I had recently done a reading with this guy Douglas Sills who's like a really great actor and he was cast in the part of like a Persian man and somehow he emerged from that reading with his dignity. Uh, that was of a George Bernard Shaw play, but I, I didn't trust that I had the sort of power that Douglas Sills had to do that while maintaining my dignity. And I went in and I gave a bad audition. Was the, was the character, I mean, did you get a sense that there was any sort of like depth to it or like, was it really just a, like a, like a brown face minstrel 
like one-off uh, like Apu joke. It really was, and he had a song, and we had to sing the song too. Oh no! Um, yeah, and the song was all about uh, how great opium was, and how you know he could he made people happy by giving them opium. There really wasn't depth there. If I felt like there was point of view, that would have been a different story. Um, this was a character who, as far as I could tell, entered the narrative for the purpose of moving it along and, and helping this detective make it to the next part of the story where he figures out that, I don't know, it was whoever the whole time. But this was just some Indian guy he meets along the way uh, and, and, and buys opium from, I guess. Did you, I mean... I, I like I love that you use this audition almost kind of as a form of protest, but like was there a part of you that felt uncomfortable like going into an audition room and not doing what you're trained to do, which is like putting your best foot forward? Absolutely yeah, every part of me wants to be the the darling of the room. I'm a total teacher's pet and a kiss ass. And so for me to walk in there and be like, I don't approve of what we're doing, but I'm not going to say it directly. I'm just going to do a bad audition out of spite. And I don't know that's exactly what I was doing. Uh, but that was really uncomfortable for me because we're trained as actors all the time that every job is important and we should be actively pursuing every job. And it was such a weird thing to say to myself, you know, I don't really want that. Um, I don't really want this job. And, you know, I was just waiting to leave because it's like, well, at this point, I don't need to be here. I, I know I don't want, even if you offered me this job, which was geographically convenient for me, it would be in Colorado near where my mom lives, but not worth it for supporting a piece of art that I thought was like really exploitative, I think. Really, I want to hear your accent, and I want to give you permission for it not to be racist or a, a co-opting of anything. Right. So I think what they wanted was this, you know, like a very heavy accent, right, that you can really make fun of, because isn't it funny that other people aren't American? Um, and I think what I ended up giving them was just like right here... And I maybe had a little bit of lilt to my voice. Like, this doesn't really sound like anything. Uh, I think I just sort of went and sounded like a Muppet a little bit, uh, just to <laughs> avoid the issue. And just sort of hung out in this place here. And maybe every once in a while got a little more into it and then found myself pulling back out of it because that is rude. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny how quickly it turns into a Canadian. <laughs> yes, right? Because I was just trying so hard not to do exactly what they had told me to do, which was such a strange experience. I, I can't imagine. Obviously, I'm not the person to speak to this, but a casting I'm up at Williamstown, and a casting director visited us the other day, and an actor of color said to him, you know, what do you think is a good thing for an actor of color to do in a showcase? And, and this casting director is a good guy who provides a lot of inner opportunities to people. And he said, well, you need to show the urban side and the upscale side. Uh, and that was a, a really shocking moment of him just being like, actors of uh, black actors are being asked to be urban characters and then like upscale lawyers. And so you need to be able to show that you can do both. And it was just a shocking thing that he was so comfortable saying that. And it, it only came out of practicality, right? I, I don't think he endorsed that belief, but clearly, that's such the practice, uh, and it was really shocking to hear. Have you ever been in a position where, like, the line was a little less clear, where you felt like 
maybe something was uncomfortable or something you weren't sure about, but you, it felt more important to you to do it. Or like you, you were in a more of a position where you had to do it. I don't know if this is like being cast in a show or I'm just Yeah, thing. I actually wonder about when we draw the line at skin color, I sometimes wonder about that. Because I I was thinking about the sort of Italian-American maf- mafioso character that was the other part of the side. And I was thinking, you know, I don't feel super... I, you know, I felt more comfortable doing that, but why? And, and certainly it has to do with sort of biases towards skin color, and that's a real thing. But but should we feel any uh, more comfortable being a, a leprechaun or a sort of money-grubbing Jew or a, a, or a, you know, Goomba Italian guy? I don't know, to borrow a phrase from Michael Lourdes' appearance on your podcast. And also when, when asked to play gay characters, if someone asks you to be a little gayer, that's always a weird thing. What do you mean a little gayer? Um, and I'm not, I'm not perfect. Of course I succumb to these kind of things all the time, and I, I probably traffic in stereotypes all the time. But, uh, sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta draw a line, right? In Mexico, since we are talking about Mexico, there is no art. Things are made for use. And the world is in perpetual exaltation. To our disinterested and inert idea of art, an authentic culture opposes a violently egoistic and magical, i.e. interested, idea. For the Mexicans seek contact with the manas, forces latent in every form, unreleased by contemplation of the forms for themselves, but springing to life by magic identification with these forms. And the old totems are there to hasten the communication. How hard it is when everything encourages us to sleep, that we may look about us with conscious, clinging eyes to wake, and yet look about us as in a dream, with eyes that no longer know their function, and whose gaze is turned inward. This is how our strange idea of disinterested action originated, though it is action nonetheless, and all the more violent for skirting the temptation of repose. Cruel Runnings is produced by Serena Berman and Jake Beckard, and in a larger sense, by Artilliers, a new paraclassical theater company. We do old plays new ways, and new plays in bold places. To learn more, and to support Arto Arto at the Dream Up Festival at Theater for the New City, Check out our Kickstarter, linked in the description. We're over a third of the way, but we need more help. If you like what you hear, you'll like what we do. And if you like what we do, a little help makes a big, big difference. Or find us at facebook.com slash artilliers, A-R-T-I-L-L-I-E-R-S, to learn more about the company and about us. Thanks to Serena, David, and Emily for their work this week. Stay tuned. We've got even more good stuff coming up, including some really special guests that I won't ruin yet. Thanks, guys. Keep it cruel. Cool.